great to be with you. This is one of those 10 or 12 Sundays each year where we get together as a whole church. So all six campuses are hearing the exact same thing. And I want to just start by celebrating a couple of things. You've heard of this great gift that we've been given by Southside Baptist Church downtown. Uh, right now, Radius Southside is meeting in the gym uh, down near the campus in Columbia, and uh, we're renovating the sanctuary are really excited about getting in there, but you can, you can be praying for that process. If you want to go down there and sit within the, in the gym with them at some point, they would love that. So head down there one Sunday and check that out. Hey, Centerville is getting close. I don't know if you know where Centerville is. It used to be Radius Rocky Creek, and we've been working on a building that's actually in Gilbert, which we've got folks coming from Batesburg and folks coming from Lexington and all joining out at Radius Centerville. That building should be open in the next few weeks or so. So if you would, pray for them. We'd love to get that thing. We'd love to be in there by Palm Sunday. That's the plan to open on Palm Sunday. And some Sunday after then, or even if you want just a personal tour, we'd love to show it to you because it's going to be a great tool to reach that region of the Midlands. Can't wait to get that going. And finally, if you're over at Radius Irmo, this is your first official Sunday with Patrick Olson, and we're really glad to have him a part of our campus pastor teams. He's been serving, as you know, for months over there and really years here at Radius and uh, he's going to begin full-time on our staff here now. We can't wait to see what God's going to do in the Irmo area as he learns to minister to the folks all in that uh, community. So can't, can't wait to see those three great gifts that God's given us at, here at Radius, what they're going to produce in days to come. What I'd like to do just with all of us together, if you join me, let's thank the Lord for what he's provided, and then we'll jump into his word been really fun to watch uh, Patrick uh, be excited about loving his radius right there, over there on uh, the Irmo side of town. Pray, Lord, that you would anoint him and that you would uh, use he and his family to lead others and certainly lead others to you, Jesus. Lord, we continue to celebrate the great gift of the building downtown, Southside, and uh, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless that facility, that many, many students, that many folks in that part of downtown would come through those doors over the course of the years and, and meet you. It's pretty cool to stand on the history where that's already happened for uh, many years, and now to stack on that, Lord, we, we look forward to new fruit. We particularly want to pray for... Palm Sunday, as we hope to open Radius Centerville, and we pray that that building uh, for that region of the Midlands would just, just produce tons of fruit, Lord, that folks that know you would follow you more closely, and that folks that have not met you would, would walk in there one of these Sundays here in the next year, even in the next month, and uh, come to know you because of hearing your word and seeing your people worship. We trust you with uh, all that you've trusted us with. We want to be good stewards of it. So thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been working through the gospel of Mark. We call the series Good, good News because uh, that's what gospel means, good news. It's the good news of Jesus' life from the very beginning all the way to his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Bible records uh, that four times, and Mark is just one of them. I, I love Mark because it's a little shorter and a little sweeter. So uh, we look forward to uh, walking through it today. Hey, uh, a couple weeks ago, I got to meet a guy for breakfast. It happens to me a lot. He's a, 
a young leader in our community. It's not a part of Radius, but we met at a little breakfast place, and I stood in the parking lot. I got there first, watched him get out of his car, and he got out of a 2017 Honda Accord EXL, which, as you know, I'm kind of a Honda fan. As he got out of the car, I mean, you could hear it. Uh, his sound system evidently is a little bit better than mine, and he had some pretty nice rims. They weren't factory, some, some pretty nice rims on it that I, I really appreciated. And as he's, as he's walking to me, I was like, man, nice car. And immediately, he kind of walked me through uh, this process that he had gone through. Some of you have been through it. He's gone through Dave Ramsey, and he'd saved up his money. And it made it even more interesting that this 30-year-old guy had paid cash for the car. And so as we walked into the into the restaurant, I already respected him. I was amazed that he kind of had his stuff together like that. And so as we sat, we talked, I asked him about church and he grew up around here and went to the same church most since his childhood. I asked him about family. He seemed to really love his mom and dad, which was, was cool. He honored them by the way he spoke. And, and at some point it kind of came out that he felt like he was missing something. seems like that maybe that's why he wanted to meet with me. So. As he asked me, like, what am I missing? I, I began to ask probing questions like I normally would if I sit across the table from you. And I, I usually start with, like, some problems that could be in his life. So I, I asked him straight up. So if you ever meet with me, this could be awkward. But I was like, how's that phone influence in your life? And when I say that to a young man, I mean, are you looking at porn? Does it own you? Are you addicted to it? And he gave me this really straightforward answer, looked me straight in the eyes, which I appreciate, and said, no, that's just, that's, that's not an issue. That's never been an issue for me. And uh, then I heard a little about, about his girlfriend, and so then I asked him just another direct question. Are y'all living together? Are y'all sleeping together? He goes, no, 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 we've, we've never done that. First of all, I'm going, are you, I mean, are you telling me the truth? There's like these questions in my mind, but as I'm working it out, I'm like, okay, I believe him. And, and then I just want to keep working down the line. Like, like at some point I want to ask him about his taxes. Like, do you ever cheat on your taxes? Like, what, what have you done wrong? Finally, I thought I would just mess with him a little bit. He go, have you ever lied? Do you lie? And he had this crazy answer. He goes, not since I was 12. I can remember the last time I lied. I don't know about you, but as I'm sitting across the table, I'm kind of skeptical. I'm kind of interested and curious. I kind of wonder, what am I supposed to do next? I've never, literally never had a meeting like this across the table, right? At breakfast where the guy seems to not have any problems, but he, he, he's looking for something more. And so uh, I, I made this conscious decision. Hopefully I don't embarrass you as your pastor. I, I, I looked out at his Honda Accord in the parking lot. I said, I'll tell you what, if you'll take your keys, go home, get your title, drive down to Salvation Army, I know somebody down there, and give them the keys and the title, donate it, take the receipt, you can use it on your taxes, and then come back here. I lead this group of young leaders that are serious about following Jesus. I'll just plug you into the group and we'll go and we'll see where the Lord takes, takes us. It was this interesting moment as I said that across the table. I don't know. I, I don't know how you'd respond. But, but he sat there, stared at me, stunned, of course. And I thought a tear was going to come out of his eye because it seemed like I thought he might be mad. I didn't know what he would do, but he just, he just really seemed sad, almost like in despair. We haven't even got our grits and eggs yet. And he got up from the table and walked straight out the door of the restaurant, and I, and I walk, watched them walk. It was just this, 
surreal moment where I'm left at the table with a little extra to eat, but, but this guy just hurt him deeply. You've probably figured this out by now, but that's a fictional story. In the Bible, we call those parables where we put together a fictional story. Jesus did it often to make a point. I wanted to read to you a story in the Bible that is not fictional, that it, it actually happened very similar. I just wanted to put it in Lexington, Saluda, White, no, Irmo terms, Southside terms, so that you could wrap your head around what happens in the story because it is shocking. This is Mark chapter 10, verse 17. I'm just going to read you a few verses. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him and knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all of these commands since I was young. And looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. It's really one of the more shocking stories in the Bible for me. I've read it many times. It bothers me at some level every time. So just, just as we go, Jesus again is on his way. He's got the disciples with him. That's how he makes disciples. And this man comes running to him, just so you understand who the man is. It, it's a pretty significant story because Matthew, Mark, and Luke record it. We call them the synoptic gospels because they really, they work in sequence together. Uh, they share a bunch of the same stories in the same sequence, even sometimes with the same words. All three of those guys record this story because it's really important to them. It stood out to them. And so as we watch Mark tell the story, we're just, you kind of get captivated by this guy. When you read Matthew, you, uh, you hear that he's young. When you read Luke, you hear that he's a ruler, and all three of them talk about him as wealthy. So through the years, the church has started to call him the rich, young ruler. And so here he is. He shows up in front of Jesus, and he really asks a pretty amazing question, Right? As he asked it, you can imagine the disciples, because they're with Jesus, they have all these assumptions about him. They're assuming, probably rightly, that he is moral, that he's like high level when it comes to morality. Clearly, he's some sort of leader, either by his wealth, they know this, or maybe they've actually heard of him in Jerusalem and what his position could be. Some folks would propose that he was a part of the Sanhedrin, so he certainly he looked the part of a rich young ruler. I wonder if he just had really good hair. Like the rich guys always have really good hair. I think they got buy a better hair product. I don't know what it is, but he seems like he, everybody knew who he was. And so when he says this to Jesus, I imagine disciples standing there watching the same. This is awesome. This is, if this guy starts to follow Jesus, ain't no telling what's going to happen. This is going to be wonderful. Instead, Jesus responds not quite so uh, graciously. Jesus just jumps on this one word. The guy says, good teacher. And Jesus turns it around and says, why you call me good? I almost feel like he says it just like that. Why, why you call me good? Only God's good. 
John Reeves, very simple paraphrase. I wonder if Jesus is saying, are you calling me good because you think you're good? And then him just asking the man directly by, by quoting these commandments from the Ten Commandments, are you good? Are you really good? Jesus quotes multiple commandments. I don't know if you picked up on that, but he says you must not murder. Ten Commandments, that's number six. You must not commit adultery, number seven. You must not steal, Number eight, you must not testify falsely. Number nine, and then he kind of sums up the last two a little bit. He says, you must not cheat anyone. And then he says, goes back to commandment number five, you, you uh, honor your father and mother. So he's actually capturing all six. He actually leave one out. He's capturing the commandments that, that would say, Matthew actually captured it right here at the, at the bottom. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. He puts it right in front of the guy, and the guy says, yes. I am good. I don't know about you, but I don't like him. I don't, I, don't, I don't like him for saying that. Jesus asked him, are you good? He says, yes, I am good. And even as I kind of want to pick up a rock and throw him at this guy, I have to look in the mirror. I want you to look in the mirror because if we examine ourselves pretty carefully, oftentimes we think we're good. Right? Like when the referee screws up, I always feel like I could do a better job. Sometimes I think I can do a better job than the teacher. Maybe you do. We always feel like we can do a little better job than somebody else, and we throw them under the bus, which kind of elevates ourselves because we think we're, we're, we're good. Sometimes that's just arrogance. Sometimes it's something far worse where we can look across the room at church on a Sunday morning at another believer over there and go, I'm better than him. And I imagine this rich young ruler, when he's thinking that he's good, he's comparing himself to others, and I imagine he's a top 10 percenter, right? Like he's, he's an A plus. And yet Jesus really wants him to bump up against the living God and see who he is in comparison to God. Romans 5 makes it really clear that if it was John and Eve, if John, Reeves, and Eve were the first ones created, I would have sinned just like Adam did, and so would you. Ain't none of us good. Jesus trying to make that clear, but this man cannot hear it. And I want all of us to look in the mirror and just go, just be reminded, I ain't, I'm not good. Only God's good. And he's given us some really, really good gifts. Look what Jesus says. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Only Mark, out of those synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, only Mark captures this one line. He says that he felt genuine love for him. Why does he capture that? Why does that matter? It almost seems like it's the motivation for Jesus to tell him what he's about to tell him. You know, like if you really love your kid, you show your kid a lot of affection, and yet you also discipline them. It always baffles me that a parent could love their kid and not Discipline, that, that doesn't make any sense. It's, you got to tell your child the truth to bless them for the life that's coming. You have to bring some discipline in their life to bless them going forward. You can't just give them a bunch of gifts all the time. You, you really, in order to love them, you've got to give discipline and affection. And so Jesus, with genuine love for this guy, tells him a, a really hard truth. Check it out. There's still one thing you haven't done. I don't know if you remember it. I went five, six, seven, eight, nine commandments. The last six commandments, you could sum them all up by love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus left the 10th one out. 
He's got it in his pocket. He knows what he's doing. He always knows how to deal with men. Certainly knows how to deal with you. He certainly knows how to deal with me, and he knows how to deal with the rich young ruler. He pulls out numbers 10. There's still one thing you haven't done. Go sell your possessions and give your money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. He takes that 10th commandment, the one about coveting, the one about greed, the one about holding your money in your hands and, and, and owning it in a way where it owns you. He says, what about that? Why don't you give away all your money? And it just gets right in. We, what we say, it gets right in the man's grill, like right in his face. It's the interesting thing about meeting the real Jesus. When you meet the real Jesus, Man, just okay is not good enough. He's going to get right to the heart of who you are. And I imagine even as you hear this passage and you take it in right now, it won't be my words, but this scripture could get right in your business. And as he loves you, he might put something in front of you that you must respond to. He does that over and over in the scriptures. When you get in front of the real Jesus, he, uh, he challenges you to open your hand right? I don't know if you remember this, but a couple weeks ago, we read these great verses in Mark chapter 8. He says, uh, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Is that what he just said to the rich young ruler? He says, he says to the rich young ruler, go sell all your possessions, deny yourself, give your money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me, right? It's this pretty cool thing where he's, he's just doing the same thing he's been doing with the disciples. The issue for the rich young ruler happens to be his wealth that he can't let go of. He puts his finger on it, and it breaks the man's heart because he cannot let go. The, the NLT, which is the translation, it's the English translation I'm reading. He sa- it says that the man, his face fell, which is, is interesting because if you like to read body language, you can sit across the table and you can watch a guy's face fall if you say the right thing. And he went away sad, which is probably weak. A better word would be grieved, that he went away grieved. You know some folks right here at Radius that are grieving. They've had major losses in their life. They've lost loved ones. And... It's, a, it's an honor to be a part of a community where we can grieve with people who are grieving after deep, hard losses. It tells you how much this dude loves his stuff, right? That he's grieving it. It's interesting. Jesus is, is not uh, the sweet guy up on the picture in the Sunday school room with blue eyes and well-done hair, right? Like Jesus disturbs people. He gets right up in our grill, as I said, and he makes you make a decision. He forces you. He does it out of love because he wants to free you from something that would own you, that would, even in this guy's case, it's going to steal his soul as he holds on to his wealth. Interesting. Luke, one of the synoptic gospels, right? So, so Luke tells this exact same story, and in the following chapter, he tells a story about a guy named Zacchaeus. They couldn't be more opposite, right? Like when you think rich young ruler, you think good looking, you think like a prominent figure in the community, everybody respects. And then Zacchaeus, is, he's a tax collector. People hate him. You kind of think of a bumbling uh, knucklehead, right? Like you've probably got a picture of somebody you've seen in a movie. It looks like Zacchaeus. 
Zacchaeus has got to hear what Jesus said. If you grew up in church, you remember he, he wasn't a tall guy. So he tried, climbed up a tree because he just wanted to see Jesus. He was also asking the exact same question the rich young ruler was. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. And so Jesus saw him up in the tree, and it must have humored Jesus. Jesus said, I'm coming to your house to eat, which was shocking in and of itself. He goes to the tax collector's house to eat. And Zacchaeus, as he interacts, as he's disturbed by the living God, the real Jesus, Zacchaeus offers of his own will to give away half of everything that he owns. It's, it's shocking. He offers to repay those folks uh, in full and beyond that he, that he had cheated on their taxes. He didn't need anybody to tell him. He was disturbed by Jesus, and his hands just opened up. He wanted to be a giver. It is just normal for people that have bumped up against the living God to want to share their stuff. Zacchaeus does it in a second. The rich young ruler cannot open his hands. I wouldn't say this passage is about giving, though the words in here, and there's certainly a, Jesus is pushing the rich young ruler, but it's a fair moment for me to ask you, are you giving? Are you giving in obedience? Are you giving the way God has asked you to? I ask you, uh, this isn't some kind of fundraiser, right? Like we're not trying to raise funds here. I ask you because when I read the Bible, just, I just cannot imagine someone who is following Jesus not being generous. It's, it's really difficult to see how that's even possible because when you meet Jesus and you receive all of his generosity, it just kind of makes your hands open. Now, for some of y'all, like this is brand new, you just started following Jesus or you really don't know what's going on in church. Hey, man, I just, I just encourage you to start with something. Like get $50 on the board. Like, like your budget this month. I know you, don't, you may not have much. Get $50 on the board. Or, or, or maybe $100. And for some of us that have been doing this a long time, I've been doing this a long time. I do it in a disciplined way. And then I often look for some other opportunities. I just don't want that to become just something that I do. I want, it to, I want my hands to be open in case, in case God wants to do something different. It's this great joy that God's given to us. To this, and certainly in the United States of America, all of these resources that we could share It's a great moment to look into your own heart as, as the rich young ruler does not and Zacchaeus does. I, I met with a young guy. My first, uh, I was in Atlanta, so it's my third church plant. We went and ate. I didn't know him very well. He had visited church. We were hanging out. And uh, he had this new job. He's doing really well. And uh, he was telling me about his retirement, which is great. He was telling me he put 10% of all of his income into retirement. I was great. And I don't know what it is about being a pastor across the table and people start like confessing stuff. He goes, well, I really don't, like I really can't afford to give it. You're all right with that, right? And it's like he wanted me to give permission. I'm like, you don't need to give to, to my church. Like that, that's, that's never like this thing. I'm not pressuring you to do that. But man, you know, like retirement is not nearly as important as eternity. And with money, we can buy nothing in eternity. Money doesn't buy us anything in eternity, but it certainly positions our heart correctly toward our resources. You can't, you can't miss this in this passage, that, that money could steal our heart. And I, I felt sad for the guy, like he was missing out on something. It wasn't this time to rebuke him or anything. It was just like, man, you're missing out on the very best stuff. We've got some folks here. I've heard two stories in the last week. Heard one 
uh, ran into the other. Of one, one's a college kid who is uh, working a job while he's in college and giving away a significant amount of his of his income. It's it, kind of shocking. I want to go tell him, hey, don't do that because he actually given to Radius. Don't, we, we got money. We don't. But that'd be, a, that'd be the wrong thing for me as a leader to do, to, to rob him of the opportunity to discipline himself before God, please God with his generosity, um, and, and really begin to grow as believers. Another one was a 30-year-old, little in his 30s. I'm getting my 50s. Everybody in their 30s is 30. Uh, who's got kids, and he just made this major move because it was better for his family. He felt like he was being obedient to the Lord, and it cost them a ton of money. But, but he just seems excited about it. And I don't know about you. I'm 53, and some of y'all are older than me. That's just something for us to rejoice in, that, that the younger generation is continuing, when they're running into Jesus, making these decisions to open their hands and share their stuff. It's awesome. Jesus applies this directly to our resources, which is why I am. Let me read you a couple verses. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Just, uh, you've probably heard, if you've been in church, heard all, that's, that's a real needle, right? Like people like to do some crazy, real needle with a tiny little eye where you, you got to lick the thread and put it through. And so it's just this impossible scenario. There's no way to get the camel through the eye of the needle. Jesus is throwing out there, just like we would throw snowballs in, as you know, like, like that's, that's a phrase we would use that speaks of the impossible. Uh, strikes fear into me. Living in the United States of America, <laughs> the wealthiest of the wealthy live here. It, it, it scares me, and I want to be aware, and I do not want to let my stuff steal my soul. And I got to tell you, parents, this is a crazy time to live when, when your kid could actually have something in his hand, you know, that most of the history of the world nobody could have imagined, which just makes him at, at whatever, 13 years old, he is extremely rich just having this thing in his hand, and we have to help them manage this. How, do, how does a 13-year-old manage what most men have never been able to manage, right? We've got our, our kids in our community, a lot of them have a car. It's crazy responsibility for a young man, and as, as you read this passage, you're, you're reading that this could steal his or her soul. So I've got to be super intentional about how to manage it. We first moved to Lexington, Lexington One had just rolled out the iPads. And uh, my kids all got, we had three kids in school, they all got one and man, it was a train wreck. So I, I took them back. I wish I'd have took them back early. I, have, I regret I didn't take them back earlier because uh, the school district wasn't on top of them yet. There was no filters on them and put my kids in really, all that wealth, all that information, all those pictures. Right? right there at the hands of a child. Man, man, as an adult, that's my job to protect them from something that can steal, my, steal their souls. We got, you guys, we live in crazy times. Our younger parents, you're going you're gonna to cross bridges that we've never had to. Man, I'm, I, I appreciate you fighting for it because we got to protect our children from, from, from what wealth could do to their hearts. 
the disciples were astounded. They saw this rich guy with the pretty hair come up, and they're like, hey, if he can't make it, if he doesn't fit, if he's not the 13th disciple, who is? Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. And Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But not with God. Everything's, everything is possible with God. I don't want to soften this too much. I do want to encourage you that whether you have a lot or you have a little, it's impossible for you to have a relationship with God, but he died for you, right? We put out bread and juice every week so we can remember that he died for us and he made the impossible possible by sacrificing his son. But I don't want you to miss that if you got one of these in your pocket, you just need to study it today. Like, look at it hard and go, is this thing, is this thing impacting my ability to truly follow Jesus? Now, harder question, would I give this away if he asked me to? Let me flip, flip around. I only have three keys. Uh, house key. If the Lord asked me to downsize, to move out, would I? Is my house too nice? Is my furniture too good for me to have certain people in the house? Is my car too clean? To give certain people a ride. Like, has my stuff, is it stealing my soul? Is it, am I not doing what I used to do? I got my key fob for, for the um, different facilities we have at church. Is, is my job, is it stealing my identity? Have I, have I forgotten to represent Jesus? Is it more about, in my case, the church than Jesus? Your job than Jesus? It's just this great question to take all of our stuff and hold it out before the living God and ask him to examine it. And ask him to please don't let it steal our souls. Then Peter began to speak up. It's a pretty amazing moment. I've wept a couple times reading these verses in the past. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. And Jesus responds, yes. He replied, and I assure you, he actually escalates this idea of sacrifice by his servants. I assure you that everyone who has given up a house or brothers, now it's relational, or sisters or mother or father or children or property for, the, for my sake and for the good news. Anybody that's given up any of that stuff, these guys, some of them, are their families, they're ostracizing them because they're calling Jesus the Messiah and Jesus saying, if you exalt me and you carry out the good news, my mission not going to forget about you. Verse 30, we'll receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property. There's this beauty as, as a part of the body of Christ. I could go to Thailand tomorrow and meet somebody that knows Jesus and call him or her my brother or sister, and they would potentially give me a place to sleep and eat because they're my family. I'm rich in a whole new way. Jesus said, like, you're going to be rich in a whole new way. And there's a, a big hyphen in the NLT along with persecution. Like, we're going to share that too. So as we watch the church in, in China be persecuted today, we share that with them. As we help plant some churches in India and in South Sudan, which are two places that we partner at Radius, hey, we, we partner with them. Folks that make, man, a tenth of what you do, a hundredth of what you do. Hey, we're equal in the family of God, that's my brother and that's your sister. It's an honor to be a part of the family. 
He says this at the very end. He says, and in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. That person, right? Who makes Jesus the center, not his stuff the center. Just a good day for me and you to look in the mirror in the richest nation in the history of the world and ask what we need to do with our stuff. Every Sunday at Radius, we put out communion. And uh, today's no different. Uh, a cool way to view communion as you walk up to take it at whichever campus you're at is that Jesus is the ultimate rich young ruler, right? I mean, he was all-powerful. He had absolute rulership of the world. I don't know how you describe all wealthy, but he's had infinite wealth, has everything at the, at the tip of his hands. He's literally God the Son. And God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit love us so much that they commissioned Jesus, God's Son, to come as the rich young ruler to this planet and give up all of his riches, right? Give up all of his riches, all the way to the point of allowing his creation, you and me, to crucify him on a cross so that he could give us life, so that he could make us real rich by spilling his blood on the cross. So as you come up and take bread and juice today, as we sing this song, we have tons to worship him about. He has set us free and made us the richest people on the planet as he trusted us with the Holy Spirit and with eternal life. Let's pray together. Jesus, you know each of us, and I pray right now that your spirit will work over our rooms and that he would bring conviction where our stuff is sneaking in on our souls. And he'd give direction on what we should do now. I pray that you give people courage to uh, be obedient in whatever way you'd have them be. That they'd be uh, brave enough to ask questions of somebody around them that uh, may know the answers. Uh, I trust you with these verses and the way that they could impact us and, and bring glory to you and uh, bring joy to us and bless our neighborhood right here in Lexington and White Knoll and Saluda and Irmo and downtown. We want you to use us, Lord. Thank you for choosing us to exalt your name and to carry out your mission. We want to be uh, impactful even these next seven days until we get back together again. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.